This is the Fenway Rundown, the premier podcast for all things Boston Red Sox. You know, people harp on the last place thing, but essentially what's important is the record. If the Red Sox want people to start thinking the ownership cares, then maybe they should talk. This is the Fenway Rundown, brought to you by Mass Live. Here are your hosts, Chris Cotillo and Sean McAdam. It's a new week and another episode of the Fenway Rundown. Chris Cotillo is off on vacation. I'm Sean McAdam, usually your co-host and today your only host. And just in, in just a minute, we'll be talking to Dave Meller, who is the head groundskeeper at Fenway Park and has been since 2001. One of the things that we're trying to do this winter is bring some a little off the beaten path guests on to talk about different aspects of the game. You might remember that we had Janet Marie Smith, the renowned baseball architect a couple of weeks ago. And uh, today something a little different with Dave Meller. And we'll be getting to that in just a minute, but a reminder that we offer uh, and would like you to join the Red Sox insider text program. Uh, We use questions on our mailbag episodes here from our Insider Tech subscribers. And you can keep up to date on all the Red Sox news this winter, throughout spring training, and all next season. And all you have to do is text the word JOIN to 617-751-6257. There's a 14-day trial period that is free. After that, it is $4.99 a month. We've got lots of people interacting with us and enjoying it, and we invite you to do the same. As promised, we have a terrific guest that we're looking forward to speaking with, and that's Red Sox head groundskeeper Dave Meller, who joins us. Dave, thanks for taking some time to speak to us. How are you? Yes, sir. Thanks for having me. Uh, Dave, let's um, talk a little bit about the, the job that you have um, and I guess start at the beginning. What is it that makes someone decide that they want to be a major league groundskeeper? Huh. Well, you know, I, I'm very fortunate. I think my job is the next best thing to play in. I uh, grew up, uh, my dream was to make it to the majors as a player. And a month after I got out of high school, I was hit by a car before I could play uh had an opportunity for a scholarship to play baseball in college. My grandfather played uh, 1902 in the majors and I wanted to follow in his footsteps. And after I was hit by the car, I could not play anymore. And I thought not only was my leg crushed, I thought my dreams were crushed. And my family inspired me throughout my life that adversity makes you stronger and to not give up. And they told me that so many people didn't like their jobs and to find a career that I would really love and to use my time during the multiple surgeries I had to learn to walk again, to really brainstorm and think about what I would really love. And I thought, what did I really, really enjoy? And I I grew up taking care of people's lawns. I enjoyed that. I loved being outside. I enjoyed science. I didn't want a job, in, uh, an office job exclusively. And I loved baseball. And I put all that together and I thought, you know, someone has to take care of a field. 
I took, helped take care of a high school field we played on. And my brother lived in Milwaukee at the time. I grew up in Ohio and, and I thought, gosh, you know, uh, you know, maybe I could be a major league groundskeeper. And my brother said, if I could live, I could live with him, if I could get a job with the brewers. And so I reached out to the brewers and, and sent a lot, a lot of letters and phone calls and kind of became that squeaky wheel. And they gave me a chance 40 years ago to get on their, their day crew, their game crew. And you also had some other stops before coming to Fenway, correct? Uh, both the Angels and Giants on the West Coast? I did. I did. I had a very fortunate opportunity to, to work with them and get additional experience. And one of the avenues for you coming to Boston and to Fenway was uh, Joe Mooney, who was the legendary groundskeeper at Fenway for decades and decades. He was retiring, and he kind of uh, zeroed in on you as his heir apparent and successor. What was that connection like? And tell us about how that unfolded. You know, I had met Mr. Mooney uh, through a mutual friends with the Scott company and uh, the New England Patriots had brought me out twice in the early nineties and offered me a job and we just couldn't come to terms. And I was certainly humbled and honored by that opportunity. And, and uh, when I came out both times, I stopped by to, to meet Mr. Mooney and, and, and see Fenway park. I grew up a Red Sox fanatic. And so to see Fenway Park, you know, gave me goosebumps and uh, it was just amazing to, to see it up close. And the park, I, I grew up, you know, I emulated, you know, Jim Rice and Louis Tiant as a kid and, and Dwight Evans and all those guys from the 75 team and throughout the 70s and 80s playing wiffle ball. And, and then uh, in uh, 2000, uh, I was, we were we were uh, moving into Miller Park at, with the Brewers and the Cincinnati Reds had called and uh, offered me a job at uh, Old Riverfront where they had taken out the AstroTurf and they were putting in new grass and offered me a job there. And And uh, my wife and I are from Ohio and we we're very humbled by the offer, but just it wasn't the right move, wasn't the right offer. So I respectfully turned it down and Red said, hey, we would love for you to still come here. Can we negotiate for one more week? And I said, you know, I'm humbled by your offer. Please, you know, let's let's hear what you have to say. And that next week, out of the blue, Mr. Mooney called me on Wednesday and said, uh, I'm thinking about retiring, but I'll only retire if you replace me. And I was just uh, so shocked and humbled and honored because – Mr. Mooney, you know, was, uh, you know, kind of a legend in our industry and, and someone who I'd looked up to and I'd reached out to when I first started. I reached out to every major league groundskeeper and he was only one of five uh, gentlemen who responded to me. And, uh, you know, he said, if you're interested, I'll have uh, John Buckley, who was the CEO of the team, re get back to me. And the Red Sox flew me out on Friday and they said, David, we know what you can do for us. What can we do um, for your family to make this move successful? And that's how Mr. Seelig had treated my family in Milwaukee. 
and that's family means the world to me. And that's what, you know, convinced us to come to Boston. You know, my wife said she knew we were coming here because of my love with the Red Sox, but you know, the family, family connections, what sealed the deal. Of course. Um, we know that uh, the Red Sox like to refer to Fenway Park as America's most beloved ballpark. It, it certainly has its charm, but I would guess as a groundskeeper, because of its age, it has its unique challenges as well. As someone who has worked in other ballparks and certainly seen a lot of others, what makes Fenway unique from your perspective and keeping the grounds and the grass and the playing surface ready to go in, in, in clement weather and all the problems that come with being in New England? Well, certainly weather is a, a big challenge, like you said, with New England. And when I first came to Fenway, it was the most um, antiquated field in baseball. It did not have um, subsurface drainage, did not have subsurface irrigation. And uh, when new ownership came on board, they went to each department head and asked, how can we make your department better? How can we get a better club? And so they invested in a new field after the 04 season, which was planned before the season. And uh, so we have better drainage now. We're improving that this offseason also. We're, uh, we have, uh, you know, safety and playability is always our uh, first priority with the field. But Fenway is unique just in how it's designed. The green monster is uh, tall, it's green, it absorbs a lot of heat. So most ballparks have two microclimates. They have the shaded part of the field and they have the sunny part of the field. The green monster throws a third microclimate in there, which gets really hot. So it can be 40 degrees warmer in left field than behind home plate. And certainly that is our friend in the spring and fall. But in the heat of the summer, that is a whole new challenge growing grass. And certainly then when we have concerts, that's a whole different challenge. But uh, as you said, weather in New England is a uh, ever-changing ever-changing element that we're dealing with. Give us a sense, Dave, of what a typical day during the season is like for you when the team is home. Obviously, you've still got to work and maintain things, and there are players sometimes staying behind, working out, taking BP, throwing off the mound. There's always activity even when the team isn't there. But on a, on a, during a homestand during the season, what, what's your average day like? Well, First, you know, I'd like to say a huge shout out to my colleagues, Derek Gager, uh, Jedi Severse, Devin Fitman, and our crew, and all our vendors. They are really, uh, they're the team behind the scenes that help us day in and day out achieve the goals of keeping the field safe and playable and do everything with all, of, you know, dealing with the weather, the games, the extra events. You know, they really help us, um, you know, do all these extra events, the, the BP setups, the tarp pulls, uh, doing, you know, doing the, the 11 concerts, the golf, the bowl games. It, it is a lot of attention to detail, a lot of pride. 
And I'm so proud of them and just a huge shout out for all their work. You know, some days, once again, weather dictates what time report time is. Sometimes that's five o'clock in the morning. Sometimes that's seven or eight. And sometimes that is, as you know, extra innings can go late. And with tarp work, you know, they're, you know, it's 45 minutes after a game of prep work. Sometimes it's two hours and then right back in if the tarp's on before sunrise and or when sunrise comes up, we want to get the tarp off before the sun heats up. We often have corporate VPs on game days. You know, one of the best parts of my job is being behind the scenes to uh, help people create memories on the field. So whether that's a corporate sponsorship, people in the stands, uh, helping someone with a challenge experience Fenway. So uh, there's a lot of teamwork involved in all that setup and, and behind the scenes work. You, you talked about um, the changes that have taken place at Fenway. You've been there since 2001. Uh, you talked about the big changes that got made by 2004, but I, I, you know, when you look at the ballpark itself, surrounding it and uh everything else i I would imagine uh from your standpoint it's barely recognizable to the ballpark that you began in 22 seasons ago well you know i think the the footprint's very similar our square footage is very similar um you know one thing i was surprised when i came to fenways was how much the wind swirled inside fenway park and certainly that's still still the case and so that's something we take into consideration when, you know, we're irrigating and how we monitor the grass. But certainly it's it's exciting to see the d- new development outside the park. Do you, do you notice a change in the wind patterns over the last few years with all the construction in the Fenway neighborhood? Because it 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 sure seems like the ballpark plays a little differently now because you've got some high-rise condo and apartment buildings and and uh, buildings for business in the Fenway neighborhood, and that's only going to intensify with the project that's going on. But is it a different atmosphere even in the last five years? You know, I, I don't know how the wind currents uh, impact that with the, the high rises or anything like that. Like I say, it was it swirled a lot when I first got there. Mm. Um, you know, one of the one of the things that maybe people don't appreciate is that in addition to your expertise where it comes to grass and the playing surfaces you have to be sort of a part-time meteorologist because you have to know when weather systems are moving in i can tell you that uh up on the fifth floor uh don't take this the wrong way dave we do (laughs) not like to see you come out of the dugout uh during games with your ipad because usually we know that means bad news for us and a weather <laughs> delay is coming. Um, w- how big a part of that is your daily job monitoring the storm fronts, the weather patterns and keeping the umpires informed about what's coming up? You know, weather is a huge part of my job. Uh, you know, other than my wife, one of the first things I look at in the morning when I wake up and before I go to sleep uh, is, is weather. You know, we're very fortunate. We've got a great uh, rain trust of, of people, including my boss, Pete Nesbitt, and uh, it, it, at Fenway that we work with, uh, Fox 25 
uh, Kevin Lamanowitz and Sherry and the, the weather team at Fox 25, DTN weather team, um, Major League Baseball. Um, you know, when I first started uh, 40 years ago, um, you know, we back then in Milwaukee, we would call the uh, local national airport. And, uh, you know, you'd call them maybe uh, once a day if there, if there was a chance of rain. And if there's a cloud, you my God, it might rain. And my boss had people in different neighborhoods who would say, hey, it's raining at my house. And you had really no idea if it was headed towards you. You know, now because of, you know, you, we have a better sense rain is moving toward us. And then we can talk to the meteorologist who help us decipher that radar so we can pass on much better information to the umpires and, and so they can make a more informed decision. And then they work with us on how, you know, they, uh, you get to know the crew chiefs and they respect our knowledge on how the field plays and how it can take it. And, and once again, a huge shout out to the crew and to my colleagues and the synchronized hard work and how, uh, how hard they work with not only the drying agents and getting the field prepped before the rain gets there, but then the synchronized work of with the tar. But, you know, working with the umpires is a huge part of that. And that's communication before the game, during the game, during rain delays. You know, once again, safety and playability uh, is our first priority before, during, uh, throughout the games, good weather and uh, inclement. In 20 plus years of working at Fenway, I've got to imagine that there are some humorous stories involving both uh, Red Sox managers and umpires when it comes to the potential for weather delays. Can you share maybe one or two of those from your years about something humorous that happened with a manager wanting to slow things down or speed things up or umpires being taken by surprise? Golly, uh, not, nothing comes to mind right now. Um, I'll have to think about that and, and get back to, you You know, nothing, nothing on top of my mind. Yeah. I, I would imagine though, that uh, there have been times where the manager, whether it's uh, Alex Cora or Tito Francona or John Farrell or anybody that's been in the dugout since you've been there uh, is probably constantly checking with you uh, if there's the threat of, uh, bad weather coming in and depending on whether the Red Sox are leading or trailing, maybe that uh, impacts their preparation and what they're going to do there. Uh, you, you, I'm sure that, uh, you know, that they're always looking for updates and information from you. Well, you know, we just try to, you know, I'll give the visiting team act, you know, the same accurate information we have and we just try to, you know, play it straight. You know, you, you that's the best best information I can give them. Yeah, I, I wasn't suggesting that you were uh, doing anything untoward behind the scenes and aiding the home team, but I know that you are often based on the home side and coming out of the, the home dugout. I figure there would maybe be more interaction with the Red Sox manager than the than the visiting one. Oh, no, uh, uh, Alex, I don't talk with Alex much during rain games. Yeah. Um, He's, he's pretty focused on the game. Yeah, yeah. He, he's got other things to worry about. Yeah. Um, yeah. You're, we're, we're at a point now where we're close to um, a bowl game coming up at Fenway, the Fenway Bowl, which is BC and SMU this year. Um, w w what sort of challenges are presented by 
having to put a football game on in December. Uh, Fenway has been host to a number of uh, hockey games uh, with the NHL and college hockey this year. Uh, no hockey on tap, but football coming up later. Uh, w- what does that mean for what you get to do in the off season and the work that it adds to your to your day? Well, w- once again, a big shout out to Derek uh, uh, Jedi and Devin and our crew for all their attention to detail. Sports Turf Specialties, our vendor who helps with the conversion from football, from baseball to football. And then the crew, you know, there's a lot of prep work um, uh, between the installation of the football field and the attention to detail that that takes and a lot of tarp work between, you know, you know the two inches of rain we're getting today the field's covered, the tarps come on and off, tarps go on and off. Um, the field painting, John and his crew who helped us, um, you know, it's just a lot of attention to detail. Um, once again, safety and playability is our, our atten- you know, our first priority with that. And, uh, you know, the crew uh, walks the field, uh, checks every seam of the new sod, uh, hand fills the divots, top dresses it, uh, really, it's just a lot of uh, hand uh, hand attention to detail and uh, many, many hours of that and uh, seven days a week and weeks and weeks of that from, you know, getting it ready for high school games and then the repair from the high school games and getting it ready for the college games. Just a lot of pride and shout out to the crew and, and Derek, Devin, Jedi and, and all the vendors who have helped us do that. You mentioned the proliferation of concerts in recent years. Yeah. Um, in in the time that concerts have been become a regular staple of the Fenway calendar, what show left Fenway's turf in the worst condition? Well, you know, uh, we hope for the best. We have contingency plans. Uh, no matter what goes in, some some concerts are planned well in a year in advance. And certainly one that uh, uh, comes to mind was the Rolling Stones. You know, that was um, in 2006. Uh, was five, it six? Five or five six. Five or six, something no. like that. And at that time, it was the largest stage ever built. I think it had uh, two balconies, two elevators, and uh, it kicked off its world tour at Fenway, right. which is always unique. And so we had saw it on, on hold. Um, most tours, most concerts, uh, uh, builds at Fenway are seven to 10 days. I think that was 14 days long and about the, and and weather impacts so much also on how, uh, how well, uh, turf responds. And certainly in 05 compared to now technologies come a long way. That was a heavy custom built stage. The flooring is different now than then. And uh, it was a hot, wet, humid summer. And I think uh, halfway through the this, this stage build, a roadie said to, to me, Mr. Meller, um, do you smell rotten pumpkins? I said, I think that's the grass. And he said, oh, dude, you are so screwed. And, you know, we knew we, <laughs> we, knew we were going to be replacing grass. And so we uh, had sports turf specialties on call. We had some colleagues ready to go. And sure enough, we, we replaced, I think, two-thirds of the outfield. And uh, I think uh, that 
you know, we had uh, 30 hours to replace something like 40 plus, you know, an acre plus of grass. And I think I met Tito at the dugout and, you know, two thirds of the outfield was, was sand root zone. And he said something like, you know, I guess we're not playing tonight, right, David? You know, in a few choice words. And I said, no, we'll play tonight. And thanks again to a lot of teamwork from my crew, my colleagues, sports turf specialties, the sod farm, which is Tuckahoe sod farm down in New Jersey. You know, the, the field came together and, and um, once again, it's just a lot of, a lot of teamwork and a lot of shout out to a lot of people who help us all come together, including the Red Sox front office who help us plan all this. You know, it's, once again, a lot of planning goes into all these events. A groundskeeper's work is never done, whether it's in season or out, se- out of season. Dave, I know you're busy. I know you've got the college bowl game coming up. We appreciate you taking some time and sharing some stories about your time here at Fenway and what your job is like. Thanks for joining us and happy holidays to you. Thank you. You too, Sean. Our thanks again to Dave Miller, Red Sox head groundskeeper, for joining us this week. And a reminder that the Red Sox Insider Text Program is a great opportunity to stay up on all Red Sox news. You might even want to think about gifting it to somebody as a Christmas or late Hanukkah present. All you have to do to join is text the word join to 617-751-6257 and then click on the link to subscribe. There's a free 14-day trial period. And after that, it's just $4.99 a month, an opportunity to stay in contact with me, with Chris Cotillo and Chris Smith and stay up to date on all the Red Sox news, off-season, in-season, free-season. So join today. This has been the Fenway Rundown, brought to you by Mass Live.